0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level, for The Doctor is In.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create those products that customers actually love. Now, the podcast is named The Everyday Innovator, and I call the people who listen Everyday Innovators. You've heard me say that before. And that has real meaning. Everyday Innovators, well, we see the world a little bit differently. We actively look for problems and unmet needs, recognizing that those are opportunities for us to create more value for customers. And our mental wheels are constantly spinning, thinking about how we can make existing products better and creating new products that really wow customers. In short, where we find our most energy and satisfaction, what revs us up, is creating products that customers love. So I saw this new book titled, Deliver Great Products That Customers Love. And I thought, hey, that must be an everyday innovator, at least a kindred spirit. So I asked him to join us and talk with us. The author of this book is Valero Zanini. He has created products and led product teams for Fortune 500 companies, including Cisco and Capital One, advised several small and medium businesses, and founded a product innovation coaching practice that he calls 5D Vision. He also has this awesome Italian accent, which you'll hear in a moment. I had the pleasure of meeting him in person as I was invited to Product Tank DC, and we were able to do the interview there. He also has a gift for the first 30 listeners that take action and you have to take action. He'll give you his new book for free if you go to his website, 5dvision.com. Click on the newsletter button at the bottom of the page and enter your info, including a message that says you're also an everyday innovator and would like his book. And of course, there's a written summary of our discussion that's at the everydayinnovator.com slash two hundred. That's right. This marks the two hundredth episode of this podcast. If you recently started listening, check out all the episodes. You'll find lots of value there. That's at the everydayinnovator.com Show notes for all the episodes and the audio. Now, I really hope you enjoy this discussion about creating products that customers love. Valero thank you for joining the Everyday Innovator podcast. Thank you for having me. We are here to talk about a book that has recently been published, and that is called Deliver Great Products That Customers Love. And you're the author of that. I appreciate you putting that together for us. Tell us why you wrote that, who you wrote it for. Yeah, sure.
2: So, of course, given the title, this is a, a book on product management. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's for product managers. But really, when, uh, when I say, when I talk about who is the for, I think about uh, innovators, leaders, and entrepreneurs. Hmm. And why is that? Because uh, great product managers need to be innovators. Mm -hmm. They need to be leaders and they need to be entrepreneurs and uh, people that are innovators, leaders, entrepreneurs, even if they don't have a formal product manager role, they still are responsible for creating a product, uh, creating a great customer experience. So I think they can really
1: benefit from uh, this book. I expect so. And one of the things I love asking product managers, and tonight we're talking because I have the great pleasure of uh, speaking to product tank uh, DC. Appreciate you coming to that and sharing the information about the book too. Sure. But a question I love asking product managers is why did they get into product management, right? What, what interested them? And those three aspects that you just shared often come up. They wanted to have more influence, this issue of leadership in the organization. They had some kind of entrepreneur itch that they were wanting to scratch, right? And then do something. And fundamentally, somehow, we're just wired as innovators. We want to do something new and create value for customers. So, it seems to be a common theme through your book there, too.
2: Yeah. In fact, I, if I can talk about myself, yeah. I like to build things. Mm-hmm. Ever since I was a little kid and still today, whether that's a digital product for work or whether that's uh, I'm renovating a house or fixing mm-hmm. a house, woodworking for hobbies or trying to come up with a next idea or something to build, it just... I think that there is uh, something wired in, in us yeah. that
1: makes us uh, want to build and create the next thing. Yeah. My background is engineering and software development. One of the best experiences I had outside of that was my wife and I, we built our house. And you know, we, we did much of the work ourselves, which was great fun. And part of that was arriving at 6 o'clock at night you know, after the day work. And then working till midnight and then going to work the next morning and repeating that process. But it was just such a great experience to see something different than normal for me, right? You see something physical come up out of the ground, you know, uh, each day as we worked on it. So. And do it together. So yeah. you're still married. So I guess that exactly. was very well. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand it breaks apart some marriages, but ours, <laughs> ours it was good. You, you have a chapter in this book. I think it's the first chapter that talks about how to build great products which is a good place to start. So there's lots of things involved in that. Just talk about what that means because as everyday innovators, that's fundamentally what we are about is building great products, building products that customers love. What does that mean to you?
2: There are, I think, two answers to this question. The first one is what is a great product? Mm -hmm. And if you look around, there are a lot of great products. There are some common elements into that. And I think it boils down to a great customer experience. Mm -hmm. Really solving the customer need In a way, the customers care about solving. And the second answer to that question is, uh, how do you build a great product? And so in the book, I talk about uh, the three pillars of great products.
1: Okay.
2: To me, these are uh, uh, customer focus, first of all. The second is a cultural agility. And the third one is uh, an empowered team. The idea is that... uh, you need to have uh, all three in place to really drive innovation
1: and create products that customers love. Mm-hmm. Great. So I, I want to, you know, knock off each one of those topics <laughs> and dive into more detail. And in the book, there's examples along the way of some of this. So any examples you have to add to this, you know, I, I love the story that come up in people's products experiences. When it comes to customer focus. So, if we're going to build great products, we need to have a customer focus. This extend beyond the product manager to the product team. How do we go about developing that customer focus? What is that? How do you visualize that happening? In the book, I share several techniques. We could be
2: here for hours, I guess, talking about sure. every single technique, right?
1: <clears throat> but in the and end, I think… We, we want to make sure people buy the book, too. So, give us, a, <laughs> give us like one or two. <laughs>
2: Don't give everything away. Right. You know? right. <laughs> I think in, in general, it, it comes down to probably three things. I'm talking about customer focus. One is uh, understanding who your customers really are. Mm. And I'm an advisor in a local incubator, mm-hmm. a startup incubator here in Washington, D.C. And at times, a company, a young startup comes to us and say, I have this great product. It's all done. Come here to see. Right. Now I need uh, help marketing it. Right. Okay, great. And the first question is, okay, who are your customers? And the answer is, I don't know. I need to figure out. And to me, it's surprising that you can get through the whole product development process, get to a product, and you still don't know who your customers are. So I think that should be actually
1: the first step, figuring out who they are. That kind of makes my stomach turn a little bit, right? Because you and I, and hopefully many of the listeners have heard that story too much, and so, as an advisor, right, you get these phone calls just like I do. Someone saying, Hey, I built this great product. What should I do with it now? Like, how do you know anyone wants it? Right. We have to do that validation work first. And unfortunately, products often end up in this, you know, fire, ready, aim sort of thing. Right. Where the first thing we do is, is put the product together. So uh, having a clear customer, good advice. <clears throat> okay. So one
2: piece. which leads to the second uh, part of customer focus which is uh, really understanding what the customer needs, what kind of problem we are trying to solve. Then when we come up with a solution, do we know if the customers really care about solving that problem or solving the problem in that way? So is the solution the right solution? Right. And so to me, customer focus encompasses all these three elements. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So we're solving an important problem in a way that they value, that they're wanting to actually adopt and use our solution. Otherwise,
2: why make a product? They're not going to buy it. They're not going to use
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my experiences was confusing at the time because the CEO of the company thought he had found a very important problem because our biggest customers were telling us it was. And then so, of course, we invested resources into following this. And when it came down to it, uh, the customers agreed that, yes, this was an important problem, but we're not going to pay anything to change it. We're living with the, you know, we've already built some things to work around it. And so we're going to live with that. That was a little bit disappointing at the end, but a good thing to figure out before we actually build a product.
2: Exactly. So if uh, you need to discover that what you are building is not the right thing, better do that early than later. That's absolutely right. And that leads to the next pillar, I guess, which is the culture of agility. Hmm, Okay. And so I think the two things go hand in hand. So it's important to understand the customers, what they need, and do that uh, in a way that connects to those customers. Mm -hmm. Um, So you need to be out, you need to be there, you need to be talking to them and really understand what they need.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. TheEverydayInnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now.
1: Give an example of your work in this part so far, right? Like, you know, identifying a target customer, a segment to go after, And then how we went about exploring problems or solutions with the customer.
2: Uh, When I was at uh, Capital One, Mm -hmm. I was uh, responsible for uh, digital innovation in the branches. So the tools uh, and the dynamics, the relationship dynamics within the branch. And we did a lot of research with customers and bankers to understand what they needed uh, and what kind of tools would make their life better. During one of these interviews a lady came to us and said I never go to the branch. Hmm. So of course they would have stricken us as uh, this is a non-customer this is just is not our customer right It's not our. But we kept talking and we asked why you don't go to the branch and she said of course she was digital blah blah the only reason why she ever reached a close to a branch was uh, to use an ATM. Hmm. But she told as the story that she lived in New York in this uh, dark uh, street and she was, well, she's scared of going at night to mm-hmm. an ATM because usually you give the back to the ATM, uh, to the, uh, to the street. Mm-hmm. The transaction may last a minute or two and it's kind of a scary thing
1: mm-hmm. for right. uh, a
2: single lady. We packed that learning. We went back to the office uh, completely unrelated to our research and we said, Hey, this seems something interesting. There is a pain point here. Can we do something about that? Anyway, long story short. A year later, Capital One was uh, the first bank in the United States to come out with an app that allows you to check in at the ATM and get the money out of the ATM without even touching the ATM. Hmm. So you can schedule that uh, transaction as you're walking to an ATM. Then you get there, tap, get the money and go away. Only last a few seconds. That innovation came up from this uh, insight that we learned by talking to this lady and again was probably an extreme customer for us, a little outlier maybe
1: mm-hmm. uh, but very insightful. It was that outlier that you might have dismissed as not being our customer but had an interesting aspect that led to something new right and, and sometimes that's the it's the voice that we don't hear from normally that leads to new insights for new products. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And when so, when you talk about agility for the team, it's that flexibility, kind of that, that mindset or culture to be looking in different places for insights for ideas. So agility,
2: uh, I think, it means um, several things, mm-hmm. right? One, certainly, should I want to clarify, is, uh, it has connotations the to <laughs> listeners too. So. Right. Centr- centrally, there is a mental agility in this mm-hmm. having flexibility. Um, the way I talk about agility in the book uh, is uh, in, in two ways. One is uh, sort of development agility. So instead of building the whole thing at once and then going out in the market with a big bang and then either win or lose everything, right, right. build it in smaller increments, uh, iterations, uh, validate with customers, get feedback along the way. So if you're doing something wrong or if you need uh, to pivot, you can do that at any time early on. And your cost or cost of change is going to be relatively little mm-hmm. compared to the big bang again. So the sort of uh, agility is very important. The second agility, probably even more important, is uh, the mindset. I work with a lot of organizations, a lot of teams, uh, trying to teach them an agile mindset. And what I often see is uh, the difference between uh, doing agile versus being agile. Mm. So doing agile in my mind is... Uh, I have all the practices, I'm doing Scrum Kanban, I'm doing daily standups, all these nice, useful things, which are great, by the way. But then these, these teams may not understand the why. What are the objectives? Why are we trying, why, why are we doing those right. practices? Why do we do the stand-up? And then sometimes you have leaders that are happy that their teams are working in Agile, but they themselves don't have an Agile mindset, so they demand long-term plans, sure. they demand deadlines and then demand the team to actually stick to those deadlines and plans. And that's counterintuitive to a culture of agility and the
1: ability to adjust your plan and learn along the way. Yeah, it creates tension in the organization and tension that people feel when those expectations are placed upon them. Deliver a timeline that doesn't make sense in that sort of agile. We have to find other ways to manage the milestones. Very true. So even a a capital one, for example... Mm -hmm.
2: I was managing a large project with, uh, of course, with the developing team. Uh, and, of course, since I'm talking about these things, I was managing uh, way, mm-hmm. And we had come up with a plan for an MVP, minimum set of features, mm-hmm. to develop in a very short time frame. We presented that to the executive. And the immediate answer was, oh, and where, where is everything else? When are you going to deliver everything else? And nothing bad in wanting a roadmap, per se. But this struck to me as uh, she
1: had a mindset that was not agile. She wanted the whole thing right. all at once, right? Yeah, this natural tension, leaders need to be able to kind of forecast the future in a sense of what's going to happen when we're we going to get product out and line up everything else in the organization for that. Uh, but it's a challenge when that's been your only background, right? And you haven't had the experience of the agile environment where you're hopefully you've recognized the need for it because things just change, right? And even if we're we have a nine month project plan, it's very likely the business environment is going to change inside that nine months. Oh, you and it's going to, to impact what we actually end up doing. And you want to make those changes to respond to what happened to our customers' preferences if they, those switched or but a competitor did or something. You want to be able to make those changes, not be stuck to a fixed plan that you know isn't going to be end up in a product that's very helpful in nine months. So
2: about understanding the, the, all these values need yeah. to be in place and re-adopting
1: that mindset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it is a mindset and it's part of the culture. And so some of our listeners are certainly experienced product managers that are still butting up against this in their organizations. How can we help the product manager improve that situation?
2: Oh, I see that all the time. In fact, yeah. And one, one way we do that is we actually talk to the executives and we do executive uh, training. Mm-hmm. And it's not about an executive uh, being an expert in Scrum mm-hmm. or doing stand-ups. It's about understanding how, understanding the values and principles of uh, agile,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but also, especially more important, understanding how the executive or the leader can, can empower the team and be a servant leader to that team to give them the space, the accountability, and so on that they mm-hmm.
1: need. Yeah. I had a, this really interesting interview uh, a few months ago. And I will include the link to it in the show notes, but it was with a researcher at the Center of Creative, uh, Center for Creative Leadership. And he was researching how leaders specifically are successful leading innovation and that it's a different sort of approach to leadership. And much of it is empowering the people doing the work and not inhibiting their ability to be creative and to be innovative.
2: Yeah. And the big risk is that what I call the superhero culture, mm-hmm. where the leader becomes a superhero. He knows, he uh, or she knows everything and uh, is the center of all the questions and answers is uh, a distiller of knowledge and context to the team, right. but also becomes the bottleneck. Right. And yes, you can have, you can be a genius maybe once in your lifetime and a like very good idea and make it happen. Mm-hmm. How many other times can you be a genius? to be successful in driving innovation you need to empower the team
1: so that everybody can collaborate and, and generate more ideas mm-hmm. and and unfortunately those leaders and managers tend to be more vocal towards the end of the project and we, we need their input early on so we can incorporate it yes. and not be derailed at the end of the project and going in a really a different direction yeah 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 so managing that is important for us
2: i have a story on uh, on that mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is a uh, Again, a capital one, two business units. I was in one, and then there was another business unit. At the same time, decided to basically get rid of an old system that was like 20 years old and no longer able to be customized or support the customer needs and implement a new technology, build a new system from scratch. Mm-hmm. The other business unit approached this as a, in a very kind of traditional way where they spent six months documenting every single capability that the old system was able to do. And then writing a requirement document listing all the requirements that the new system Mm. needed to do. Once all of that was in place, the executive signed off. And then the budget was approved. They hired a big team. And then they started using agile practices, Scrum in particular, to do work in two-week increments. Mm. And even if they were doing two-week increments, the goal was to get everything done in a year. So they would not deploy anything until everything was completed at the end of the year. Right. Of course, you know where this story is going. I do have a smile on my face. Right? (laughs) I think I might. A year later, they were not even halfway into that development. And on top of that, um, they had to pay a a kind of... A hefty price because the old system needed to be renewed, a new license Mm -hmm. needed. It was a multi-million dollar license to to pay. So it was a big mess. Mm -hmm. Compared to my team, I didn't know the technology. My team didn't know the technology. We didn't even know the old system that we were supposed to replace. So instead of spending months documenting all of this, probably to no avail, we went out. We went to talk to customers and bankers and we said, Forget what you have, what you need. Mm-hmm. And we made a, a long list, uh, actually not too long, but anyway, a list of uh, things that they really needed. From that, we identified an MVP. What can we build that is minimum set of features that can deliver value and mm-hmm. prove new technology can work, and then we will expand. So four and a half months later, we were in production. Right. We validated that it worked, and then we have continued building on top of that. That project actually became the largest implementation of that technology uh,
1: in the banking industry. I think that's one of the most fundamentally important things that Agile has given us. It was around before Agile came around, but this mindset, getting uh, capability out early to our target customer. We often misunderstand what they actually value and what they need, and we need that feedback and that interaction And the idea of, you know, team one that you talked about, hey, we're going to go set off and answer this whole long list of requirements in one year and not talk to any customers along the way and not show them what we're doing along the way. And it will all work out at the end. We just know that it almost never does. We don't have a proper understanding in the beginning and things change along the way. So the MVP approach that you described, I think, is spot on. It's that healthy tension of, boy, we got to get something out early. We might not be really happy with what we're getting out, but we need that feedback. And learn, yeah, along yeah. the way. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And this is true for large
2: organizations or startups. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, if you're spending months or years building something, somebody faster, leaner, nimbler is finding a solution faster than you, eating
1: your market, and by the time right. you're done, you're too late. Or they may understand the customer better, right? Or the customer changes, and you know, these are all really important things. <laughs> okay, so we talked about the customer focus, the aspect of agility, which in part is mindset and culture of the team. <laughs> and we talked around empowerment a little bit. Well, let, let's talk about empowering the team a little bit more.
2: Yeah, actually, something that I really care about. And i give you an example. I have a, At the time, I had a product manager that was really new in in the role and uh, was responsible for actually the the project that we just spoke about Mm -hmm. kept coming to me with uh, a lot of questions what do you think of this or the team at this suggestion what do you think of the suggestion should i do that should I not do that Uh, can i go out to the branches and interview the cast all Mm -hmm. these kind of things at some point i said don't worry about all this you are empowered to make decisions on this product All I ask is that I am informed of those decisions. As soon as I I said that, I saw the light go off in his eyes and he felt empowered, accountable, committed to the product Mm -hmm. and he just took off. The product took off, the team started by inference, I guess, started feeling more empowered as well. And the whole thing just became bigger, faster,
1: uh, richer of ideas and so on. You gave him ownership over the decision-making and to just try to go out and do the right thing. And all of us want that, right? It, it is personally empowering to know that we have some control over our work. And we're not just, you know, in a sense, robots responding to a set of instructions. It creates more enjoyment in our work. And we have more passion for waking up in the morning and going and doing what we're doing.
2: And the counter effect of that, if uh, I guess in, uh, if you don't have empowerment, mm-hmm. is that of course your manager, your leader, somebody higher in the organization is basically calling all the shots. A command and control kind of situation. Right. And then when this person is not there or is not readily available, everything stops because nobody is able to take a decision. Mm. And so even the military, the U.S. military, for example, is, uh, well, traditionally, is a command and control structure, is developing a culture of uh, empowerment, right. culture of innovation to give the
1: the units in the field uh, the ability to quickly adapt yep, to the absolutely. changing situations. And I wonder if we could hear another product story that also has some good lessons that ties into these concepts we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this is not something I developed, but something I
2: experienced.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So a, a couple of years ago, I read in a newspaper that a big bank, Citibank, had uh, just opened up their uh, new innovation branch, flagship branch in New York. And one of the things that they were um, showing off, I guess, in, in the branch was um, tablets, iPads mm. in particular. And so I was very curious. I went to New York and I went to the branch to, to look around what they were doing with these iPads. I looked everywhere. I could not see a tablet. So at some point, I, I sat down with a banker, and we started chatting. Then I asked the question, hey, I read in the newspaper you have the iPads. I couldn't see them. Where are they? Mm-hmm. And the banker said, yes, that's true. The problem is these iPads are expensive, and we are afraid of losing them, so we keep them in the safe. Where well, they're very useful. We're very useful, <laughs> exactly. So the story goes on. A year later, I go back to New York for other reasons, and I say, oh, you know, let me go and check uh, that branch uh, if they still have the iPads in the safe, right? Mm -hmm. So I go, and again, no iPads around. And so I sit down with another banker and they ask the same question. Hey, last year I was here, newspaper article, iPads, where are they? His answer was, you're right. And yes, we kept them in the safe because we were afraid of losing them. We finally thought it was silly, so we put them out and they stole them. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. That was a problem. And uh, the the problem in my mind was uh, the lack of empowerment mm. that this team had received. Uh, at least that's how I read it. Because they were penalized if the iPads got stolen. So they were not empowered to actually test this new technology or find right. solutions to avoid. They, they get stolen, but also at the same time, get value out of yeah. those. Right? So they basically spent a year or two with these iPads doing nothing with them because they were in the safe, and then they finally got stolen. I guess they didn't learn
1: anything from that experience, and that's, that's a loss. Sure. I wonder if the leadership team behind it learned anything. I would put this in the category of, of innovation theater. Right? It's, it's the company talking about something they're doing to promote innovation but not actually delivering anything that makes a difference I love innovation quotes and when I uh, talk to guests I always ask for one and why they chose that one do you have a quote for us? I do, I actually jotted it down because it's long well, let us have
2: it <laughs> but uh, I like it It, uh, it comes from uh, Uber okay, and uh, it talks about the product managers So the quote is this, uh, Uber demands passion for the customer, great technical depth, principled thinking, well-honed product judgment, a stubborn refusal to settle, bold innovation, a high design bar, and the mentality of starting with the customer first. Mm. So I told you it was long, it's long. There, there's a few elements in there for the exceptional product manager, but yeah, what I like, I like it a lot actually because uh, it seems like overwhelming. Like, a mm-hmm. product manager needs to do all of this. That's that's a lot, and it's true. As product manager, we are asked to do a lot right. of this. What I like of this quote also is that uh, it starts with a passion for the customer, right. and it ends mentally, of starting with the customer first. Yeah. So it kind of close the circle around the customer
1: experience, which is one of the pillars Absolutely. of great products. Yep. Th- those are good bookends to uh, a product manager's responsibilities, right? If we start and end with a focus on the customer, we probably can't go wrong. And when the, we look at the surveys we share on where product managers are spending their time and where they want to spend their time, they almost always say they don't have enough time with the customer. So at least I'm glad that we're, we recognize that need, that we need more time with customers so we can focus on the problem. Okay, and again, the title of your book is Deliver Great Products That Customers Love. Tell us how we can find that, and also tell us a little bit about your company, and if people want to reach out to you, how we can make that happen. Sure, thank
2: you. The The book was uh, recently published, so of course it's available on uh, on Amazon, mm-hmm. and uh, more information is also available on uh, my website uh, called uh, 5dvision.com. 5dvision.com. okay? com I'd be happy to offer this uh, for for the first uh, thirty people that would like to sign up for uh, the newsletter to get updates on what we do and the book. I uh, will uh, offer a free copy of the book. Wonderful!
1: So the first three that, that ask, the, the first the first people, first thirty. Yep, that's even better. Okay, so the first thirty people that ask can get the book for free. And what's the URL to go to?
2: So they just go to the website, so 5dvision.com,
1: mm-hmm. and sign up for the newsletter. Again, that's 5dvision.com. Sign up for the newsletter there, and first 30, we'll get the new book. Wonderful. Thanks for making that opportunity available for us. I'm looking forward to reading the book myself. I haven't yet. And I appreciate you sharing the insights that you've learned through your experience and for writing the book for us. Thank you, Chad, for having me. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products that customers love. Find the written notes of the discussion with Valero at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 200. Keep innovating.
0: you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.